My guest, Brad Baldridge, specializes in getting your kids to college. Not only that, he helps families do it the right way. During our conversation, he dropped some gems on how and when to start saving. He challenged some of the myths that exist concerning the next educational level. And he even touched on how tricky it may be for whether a divorced family, a single parent, or a newly married couple. Getting these kids to college may seem daunting, but Brad makes it easy. Take a listen. Welcome to Blended. I am your host, Jeremiah Wallace, and my goal is to see blended families thriving. If you are navigating this experience, then you're in the right place. This podcast is purposed to provide support, information, and the encouragement that we need to fulfill our family's potential. All right, Blenders, I have a very special guest with me by the name of Brad Baldridge. Thank you for being here. And as far as who Brad is, he's a college funding specialist. He's worked with thousands of families that plan to save for college using strategies that have proven to be both smart and effective. The guy knows what he's doing. Um, And among those strategies that he's using is for the sake of financial aid, scholarships for students, student loans, and a ton of other methods. And we've had uh, some brief conversations and the number of things that this man has to talk about and address is beyond (laughs) my personal comprehension. It is very impressive. Um, He also is the host of Taming the High Cost of College, which is a a great podcast, extremely resourceful. And he's worked with uh, a bunch of other podcast platforms that have served those spaces, those those listeners and individuals. And I believe that he will also serve those listening in as far as the blenders. That is the, uh, the nickname of the folks listening in on this one. Um, so mm-hmm. thank you so much again, Brad, for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course. And if there's anything that I missed as far as what you specialize in, what you do, um, and how people can use your resources, um, go ahead and fill those in for me. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, and we'll talk more about a few of these things, but we've got a lot of free resources and the podcast and all that stuff. And that's all at tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. Awesome. So when we start talking about things, we'll, we'll mention what's there. Very nice. Awesome. And how long have you been working in this field? I did uh, my first college planning presentations in 2005 or six, I think it was. Launched my podcast before podcasts were cool in 2014 yeah. or 15, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's been some, I've been a focus for me for many years. I've been a financial planner even longer than that, but moved into the college specific focus about 15 years ago, 18 years ago now, I guess. That's great. Well, thank you for making podcasts cool because now I'm here. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Blazing the trail. That's fantastic. Um, So despite college being as popular as it is uh, pretty much everywhere, but almost especially in the U.S., generally speaking, how prepared um, as far as your perspective is concerned or families to ensure their child's success from admission to, to graduation. Right. Um, yeah, I would say that there's many families that just 
kind of ignore it and they and they get surprised. So one of the key takeaways that I always tell people is start this process earlier than you think you should. And what do we mean by that? Well, you can divide college planning into two stages. We have early stage and late stage. So early stage is we've got a toddler, you know, a middle schooler or whatever it is, and college is coming and maybe we should prepare. You know, and usually that implies prepare financially. We're going to save and invest. We're going to set up some way to pay for it. We're going to think it through, come up with our education philosophy as a family, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get to what I call late stage planning, which is you've got a high schooler and now you're trying to figure it all out. You know, what school should we visit and how do we pick a school? And we got to apply for financial aid. We got to apply for admission. We got to write essays. We've got, you know, all this testing stuff we might have to do. You know, the student needs to figure out what they want to be when they grow up so we can figure out what majors are appropriate. Yeah. Um, there's a, you know, a big process that you go through. And no matter how well you did with the early stage, you're going to have to do the late stage. You know, so some people roll into the late stage and say, well, I've got a big pile of money. I can afford to do it, but I still got to figure out I don't want to waste the money. And I still got to figure out, well, how do I get into the college? And even if I can afford it, is it the right fit and all that stuff? So, you know, and that's where I spend a lot of time. I work with a lot of parents of high school kids that are, again, trying to figure it all out. And some people can and have large pots of money, but many of them don't. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times it's, you know, parents of juniors and seniors who haven't haven't even started. And all of a sudden realize that there's a lot to do and we have to get to work. Yeah. That seems like a high stress position to be in, to be honest. And as exciting as college is, I believe for both the student and the parents that are invested, it does seem like as far as the the late stagers, those that get invested at the last second, and I'm sure that number is growing, that percentage of people. Um, so how, how is that as far as the ability to handle all of it for, for parents? Right. Well, I think the challenge, there's a couple of different challenges that have been brewing over the last 10 or 15 years. One is the cost of college has gone up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had to guess, I'm quite a bit older than you. Um, but when I went to college way back when, you know, I could work hard in the summer and take a student loan and cover the full cost of a typical state school oh. all by myself. Mm-hmm. Now, those days are gone. Yeah. Most, you know, most state schools now average about 27000 so some states are more than others, obviously. Um, the more expensive states are in the 30, 32, 35. And the less expensive states are, you know, 22, 20, something like that. And that's total cost of attendance. So when we say 27,000, it's roughly, you know, 12,000 tuition, 12,000 room and board, and $3,000 travel and personal expenses and books. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where we start. And then the average Private school is closer to fifty-seven thousand on average, because they're generally it's mostly tuition that's higher at a private school. Although sometimes the Rubin board's a little pricier too, um, and that's average. You now the most expensive private schools now, the Harvard and Yale and those types of schools, are at the eighty thousand plus, eighty, eighty-two, eighty-five thousand. Yeah, and if you've got a high school sophomore, I think we'll see ninety by the time they're off to college. Wow. Now. That's all just list price. So that's what the list is. That's not not necessarily what you pay. 
because you and you can earn scholarships and schools like Harvard and Stanford are very generous to the point where if you you know if you're lower income and for them lower income means different things you know than what a lot of other people might think you know Stanford just put out a press release that says if your family income is under a hundred thousand your cost will be zero in other words your tuition will be zero your room and board will be zero so all you'll have is a little bit of personal expenses and you know paying for your cell phone now the challenge you know people say oh that's great that's where I want to go yeah. uh, of course the, that the challenge is getting accepted to Stanford is extremely challenging they get lots and lots of applications of you know and everybody that goes there is a really strong applicant really really strong like yeah. rock star status kind of thing yeah um, and that's the that's the challenge is a lot of these schools that you know they're well endowed they have a lot of money that they can share but they're also very competitive um, so for the rest of us you know where can we go well there's still private schools that target the less than stellar student the b student and even the c student have have options so and a lot of these schools will offer scholarships but they're not necessarily going to be the school that everybody's heard of yeah. you know it might be a, a strong school in your area and you know the locals know about it but it's not a nationally known like a harvard or a stanford yeah um so that's one of the balancing acts of should we look at a private school should we look at a state school you know the reality is a lot of you know private schools know what state schools cost and they know many times that they got to be you know to be in the running they got to be somewhere close to what a state school costs so for especially that the students that they really want often their pricing is within reason of what the state school might be again it's hard for a typical private school to say well you can go to the state school for 27 but we're 63 that that's tough. So they offer a $30,000 scholarship and they say, okay, well, the state school's 27 and we're 33, just a few thousand more. But we think we're better. Or you think we're better. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. Is I, I like this school better than I like the state school. Yeah. I'm willing to spend a few thousand more to go there. Yeah. And then occasionally it'll be the opposite, right? Well, that the school we like the most is actually less than a state school. And that's fantastic. And that's one of the challenges I think most families are up against is what is it really going to cost and what's a reasonable college budget that we can afford and how does it all fit together? And that's where we get into, you know, understanding how, what, what it'll cost. And that's one of the things I help families a lot with is, well, these types of schools are where the numbers will be better. And these types of schools are, you know, aren't going to work as well. So we should focus on these groups instead of those groups. Yeah. And, um, but for many families, it's going to be painful no matter how you slice it, you know, and I don't care how much you earn because most families have learned how to spend most of what they earn. And then when you try and add college onto the pile, it's painful. Absolutely. I got a 14 year old, um, as I've, mentioned to you earlier in an earlier conversation and these this is a necessary conversation it's uh yeah, again there's excitement but there is a little installation of fear <laughs> there's yes. a bit when does in what scenarios do you see junior colleges kind of come into the conversation yeah so 
junior college, two-year tech college. I mean, there's all different kinds of paths. And now there's also, you know, college is now starting to creep into high school as well with things like dual enrollment and AP courses and and all of that stuff is good for the right people and not so good for the rest, right? I mean, that's the challenge. So I think there is a great path for many students where they will do two-year or some, you know, go to a tech school or just get a certificate or do whatever it might be. I think there's this idea that everybody should go to college because it's an automatic ticket to the good life. Um, on average, that that's true, but most people aren't average. And that's where you got to get be careful, right? So the average college student makes more. Okay. But if you're the 10 or 20% of college students that don't make more, do you care what the average student does, right? I mean, there's, you know... And then there's the professions where, oh, I could have been that profession. You know, I could have been a plumber and made 80000 a year and then, you know, built my own business and make 200000 a year. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know that that was an option. Yeah. And you need an education now. I mean, most plumbers have a lot of either on-the-job type education or tech college or something, right? I mean, a lot of the stuff we're talking about still requires an education, not necessarily the traditional four-year. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where attitudes, and especially in some areas, need to change. Where a lot of people think if you don't do a four-year degree, it's you know you've somehow failed, or it's not. And you know the four-year degree is right for many people, but it isn't right for everybody. Yeah. Well, what is uh, some of the misinformation that you run into that you tend to have to debunk in order for people to get? just attain the proper perspective concerning college and get the preparation started. Right. So one of the big myths that I get, you know, I hear a lot is, well, where can my student borrow all this money for college? And again, the typical student rolling out of high school and going back off to college can only borrow 5,500 in their name as a freshman. And then mom and dad can borrow up to the cost of attendance. So if your student's going to Harvard, mom and dad could borrow that 80000 But the student cannot, generally. Or there, or you could go to the private market, and then mom and dad could co-sign a loan that has the student first, but mom and dad are still on it. Um, so the whole idea that, you know, you hear about these students that graduate with 100000 or $200,000 in debt. It's like, well... First of all, that's, you know, in many cases, it's a bit insane. It probably was an alternate path that would have been more reasonable if they wanted to choose it. Um, and there must have been a parent involved to sign or co-sign to make that happen, which means, again, I think the parents need to be the adult in the room and figure that out and, you know, be willing to stand up and say, no, this is not, not a good option. Now, the exception to that is if a student goes on for a degree after their undergrad. So if you go on for a master's or Ph.D., the rules change. You don't report mom and dad. Mom and dad aren't involved. And typically, the way a lot of that is funded is with just large loans. So the typical doctor or MBA, you can just borrow twenty-five, thirty-five, fifty thousand, eighty thousand 50000 80000 a year to make that happen. And in some, you know, in some cases like 
when you're studying to be a doctor, they generally don't want you to work or do anything else. So they just make it easy for you to borrow it all. So a lot of doctors are graduating just buried in debt because it's many years of very expensive school. Um, But we also see it in things like there's a big lawsuit going on with UCLA and their master's in social work where a lot of, you know, social work as an undergrad doesn't lead very far. Most of the time you end up going back to get your master's in order to actually work in the field. And UCLA was charging very large amounts of money and people were borrowing a lot. And then it, then the jobs that it made you available for didn't pay very much. And it was just, you know, just a financial mess. Yeah. And enough students got upset enough that they're literally going at, going back after the school and saying, you know, again, I don't know if they'll win or not. Again, they were adults. They signed the paperwork. They, you know, they should have known what what's going on. But that's that again. That catch twenty two of buyer beware versus were they really, you know, doing something fraudulent per se? Yeah. And in order to avoid some of those pitfalls, obviously, it requires diligence and paying attention, being really resourceful and. How do parents do that? What do, where do they start as far as preparing, planning for college and what resources are available? How do they like see things for what they are so they don't end up on the back end regretting this decision of sending their child to college or signing paperwork that they just were ill-informed concerning? Right. So I think there's a couple of big picture things. One is... Uh, college is getting more and more expensive and more and more complicated. So the opportunity of doing things well versus doing things poorly can be a bigger, have a much bigger impact. Again, when I was going to college, when it was so inexpensive, there was lots of kids that, well, I changed my major for the fourth time. I'm on my seventh year of college. You know, no big deal because college wasn't that expensive and they were kind of paying for it as they were going anyway. So it wasn't like they were taking $50,000 out in debt each year mm-hmm. to meander, you know, parents today, when you hear that, they're, you know, par- parents have this cringing feeling when you hear that it was like seven years already. I mean, who, who's paying for that? And, yeah. you know, let's make that more efficient. And that's the reality, right? Is now we can't just explore while we're at college and change our major if we need to that, it's not a good economic way to do it. It might work well for the student to figure out what they want to be and get them on the right path, but it's it's an expensive learning lesson to change majors a lot. And so that's one thing is spending more time and effort getting it right the first time. You know, less than half the people that start for the four-year degree finish yeah. right now in the four years for sure. Wow. And some even in the six years, they're not. a lot of them aren't finished. Well, and some will come back later and finish it up, and others will never finish. They'll, you know, just be at a, a, a uh, limited, you know, have a partial degree and just go out in the workforce and never make it back. Yeah. Um, and that I think is probably one of the worst situations. They have a bunch of school debt for half of a degree that doesn't do anything for you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's right. So. You need to start early, and then you need to decide. Well, am I going to learn how this all works? Am I going to outsource it? You know, I'm. I've got a course on my website that can help families understand the process. You know, so it's kind of an in between. I, you know, that's what I do all day long is I help families 
you know, navigate this process where, you know, a great analogy would be if your student came to you and said, you know, I'd really love to learn how to play the piano. And as a parent, you go, well, wait a minute, I don't know how to play the piano. So I guess I'm going to have to go learn how to play the piano <laughs> so I can teach my kid how to play the piano. Yeah. You know, most people don't think that way. <laughs> um, it's more of a, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to outsource it, you know. And then we think of that piano teacher that, you know, that stands over the piano with a ruler, you know, the little old lady and, you know, they're, they're doing their scales and that kind of stuff. Of course, that's one way to do it, yeah. but that's how we did it 50 years ago and a hundred years ago. Now we've got the internet. So you could, you know, do something online. You could go to the local music store and take lessons. You could, you know, there's all different ways it could be done. So it's up to the parent then to explore the options and pick the, what options work best from lower cost i'll be involved to i'm just going to completely outsource it to somebody and write big checks as the same could be said around college planning of you know i just want to outsource this and again families already do it for their financial planning potentially they already do it for their taxes um the challenge of course is those experts often are not well versed in the college so now you need yet another person when it's college time yeah um so that that's I guess a kind of a big picture of and then another big picture decision is well are we going to pay for it all are we going to share it what's our you know is there a cap on how much we're willing to spend or you know and I've had parents come to me any school any price we'll figure it out and make it happen but now that school is getting so expensive I don't hear that as much anymore where yeah. now it's we got to find a reasonable option and then we're happy to pay for it but if it's not reasonable then we're going to say no, or if it's not reasonable, then the student is going to have to take on some of that debt. Um, and we'll help, but as in we'll help them take out the debt, yeah. not we're just going to pay for it. Yeah. Um, and again, when you start getting into things like blended families, and now it gets even more complicated, where, okay, well, now there's two parents in different households with different budgets and so forth, trying, you know, who, how do we divide? you know, divide those expenses. Um, yeah. And on that note, let's, uh, let's get into some of the, just the unique circumstance that uh, blended families experience, whether they're in a state of divorce for a decade and the child is approaching college, or if the separation is in process or fresh, what are, what are some of the dynamics that tend to um, be present within the blended family attempting to send a child or children to college. Yes. So obviously we've got the two households that I just mentioned, but before you know, a point that I need to make very clear is when you start getting remarried, it changes who's on the financial aid forms and that kind of stuff. So think twice before you get remarried, I guess. Understand what that means. And unfortunately, that's the reality of it is where there's a potentially a huge college impact when you remarry because now you're including a new a new person and a new income potentially on the financial aid forms and it can change things pretty dramatically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, philosophically, well, should I plan my life because of financial aid and that kind of stuff? You know, no, no. That's not fun to hear, but the reality is, well, unfortunately, it can can have an impact. So, yes, maybe you should. Um, 
because occasionally I do talk where their you know families are saying we're thinking about getting married. What do you think? And you're on the numbers and say, well, it costs you ten thousand a year. It's like, oh, well, then maybe we'll wait, <laughs> um, or whatever it might be. So that's the first thing of could be the way financial aid works um, is changing a little bit. But the the gist of it for the federal method is that they tend to look at one parent, and if that parent is remarried, the new spouse. Now that who that one parent is is changing. Uh, generally, they're trying to make it track the tax return. So whoever's claiming the student often would be the parent. Although because of the way divorce works, sometimes you can give up your claim even though you're the one that should be claiming. So that's a big gray area right now. It's mm-hmm. hard. You know, They're changing the rules, and they haven't really nailed down the rules. So yeah. if you've got a high school junior right now, you're the guinea pig uh, class, you're going to fill out financial aid this fall. We don't know exactly what the rules are going to be and how yep. it's going to work. And we're waiting for clarification, which should be coming out you know, throughout the summer and into the fall. Um, but once you know who the proper parent is, if that parent is married, um, you're going to add that new spouse. If divorced parents or separated parents are living in the same household, then I'll, even if they're financially separate, but let's say they just couldn't afford to have two households. So then both parents typically are still going to be on the forms. Hmm. Again, preventing families that are just fine and getting along and doing great. They just say, well, I'll get more financial aid if we're divorced. So let's just pretend to go get divorced, get a bunch of aid. Then once it's all over, we'll get remarried and go back to the way it was. Have you seen that? Has that been an issue you've run into? Well, it doesn't work, so people don't do it. Okay. So that's right. But people were doing it in the past. So, yes, long ago they were doing it, so they just came up with the rule that it prevented some of the shenanigans. Wow. Um, So now in legitimate situations where families are separated or are divorced, the one good news is with this change is they're changing how child support is added into the mix where it used to be considered an ass or it used to be considered income. So a family, you know, let's say it's dad earning 50,000 and has the kids and then mom has a higher income and is contributing another 30,000 in child support. So now that income of that family is 80,000 as far as lifestyle and spending for financial aid purposes. It's still 50 because they don't add in that child support, okay. Um, which they which they used to do in the past. Wow. So anybody that has kids in college now and is receiving child support, your numbers might shift pretty dramatically for the better. Because in the past, child support was considered income. Now it's shifting to an asset. So if you know that could inc- inc- improve your aid by five or ten or twenty thousand dollars, yeah, depending on how big the child support piece was. Yeah. Um, for people that have never had kids in college, they don't know the old way, so it doesn't really matter what the old way was. Um, but that's one part of the the, the puzzle. Um, but the other challenge with divorce is what I talk about is the the parent that's holding the college bag. In other words, a lot of times, you know, 
college students are adults, and a lot of times they're not anybody's responsibility anymore. They're adults. They're 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 their own they're their own responsibility, right? You're 18. If you want to do something or do whatever, you're 18. Go do what you want. You're an adult. I'm not responsible to pay for whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of married families, if they didn't believe in education or whatever, didn't couldn't afford education, they could essentially tell, you know, we're not helping with, with college. We're sorry, we can't. Or don't want to, or whatever the case may be. And then the, that 18-year-old high school graduate just has to figure it out on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what happens is they're still required to report mom and dad's income and assets. So because, if mom and dad had high income and assets, then that may disqualify that student from a lot of aid. And now that student is stuck. It's right based on what you know what the forms say. The colleges believe that the parents can afford to help and expect them to, even though they're not willing to. Yeah. So there's a again trying to avoid those shenanigans of well, I just I'm not responsible. They're adults. Why are you asking about? I'm not willing to participate. And then all of a sudden the student gets a bunch of aid. Well, that kind of defeats the system. Yeah, every parent would do that. Then just say, "Well, I'm I'm not responsible," yep. and then the students on their own, and then well. it, the system breaks down. So there's some catch twenty twos there. But once we get to the divorce situation, now it, it, there's a little bit of chicken sometimes where one student or one parent can say, "Well, I don't think it's important, and I don't care, and I'm not going to contribute," and Sometimes that parent knows the other spouse does think it's important and will do what it takes to make it happen anyway. So they can get off the hook just by saying, yeah, not my problem. And knowing the other parent is going to step up and make it happen at their own expense if that's what they have to do. Yeah. Um, so I see a lot of parents where I'm holding the college bag and mom or dad are just not going to be involved. Yeah. What would would you say about the factor of relational cohesion? I know that you're typically addressing numbers and you're trying to make things real black and white. So decisions can be made because that is often required in order to to move forward. The gray area is a dangerous place. Um, But as far as just relational cohesion, whether it is a uh, man that has a decent relationship with his ex-wife versus a family or people, a situation that's still very much and apparently in conflict and turmoil. What, as far as the outcome and their ability to kind of get on the same page, like what is the difference from what you've seen? Oh, it can be huge. I, I mean, I do have families that come to me where we're contemplating divorce or we're in process of divorce, but we have kids in college. We have kids in high school whatever it might be. And we're worried about how this will impact college. Um, or how do we structure this? So it has the least impact on college because that's the reality, right? If it's only going to be one parent on the form, if we do things right, we can pick the parent. And again, with the new rules, I, I don't know how exactly that's going to work. Yeah. We don't have the details yet, but in the past we were able to, it, the way it, we knew how it worked. And then we'd say, okay, this is the stupid, the parent we want on the form. So let's design it this way so that this is the parent that's on the form. And then that parent, you know, should or shouldn't have these assets or those assets. Uh, not a big piece of that puzzle is who owns the 529s, right? You, a lot of families have been saving for college for 10 years and they've got $100,000 saved for college and they're about to be divorced. And if dad was on the 529s before the divorce, a lot of times they 
the lawyers just say, well, that's not part of the marital assets. That's really the kids' money. No. Um, so we're not, we're just ignoring it. It'll just stay where it is. What a lot of families don't realize is, well, it is dad's money according to the rules of the 529, and he doesn't have to spend it on college. A lot of times the divorce agreement will say that that's college money, hmm. but he could still call the company and take it out and do what he wants with it. Yeah. And then the other thing that can happen is whoever owns the 529s can hold it hostage and say, well, I'm not taking money out of the 529 for that college. I want you to go to this college and you know, I'm not willing to pay. And it, all parents can do this, yeah. right? But a lot of times in the divorce situation, people are looking for ways to make life miserable for their ex. <laughs> yeah. And this is one, you know, one avenue mm -hmm. where of, yes, I have control of the college money and therefore I'm going to use it as a cudgel and I'm going to beat you up with it and make your life miserable. Yeah. Um, so if it's going to be contentious, I recommend most families just divide it by two and each own a half so that, and then you can decide what you're going to do with your half as appropriate. Yeah. Um, Cause I've, you know, just recently I had that call of hundreds of thousands and five twenty nines, but dad is in control. And we just, he just lost custody of his daughter because of what's going on and he's angry. So we don't know if we're going to be able to get access to that wow. college money. Wow. What are we going to do instead? Yeah. And it's like, well, I mean, there's, you know, you could try some legal recourse, but as it stands now, his name is on it. He owns it. He has control of it. Yeah. And as far um, as that, can you specify the 529 um, and what that is exactly? Uh, sure. So the, the 529 is a uh, college savings program that a lot of families use. Um, and I think it's an important uh I guess piece of a lot of college plans you get some, a lot of tax benefits. It's not the only game in town. There's other choices, so I'm not necessarily recommending 529s. There's other options as well, but they do work well for a lot of families. So you get some tax benefits. You also have some tax penalties if you don't do it right. And um, sometimes some states will have plans that are better than others. So you want to make sure you look at the state that you live in and determine if theirs is better for your situation because of the state tax treatment. Um, so that, again, it's just an avenue that a lot of families will, you know, I would say more than half of people I work with use a 529 somehow as part of their saving and investing in. And some of them started when the kids were young and some of them are starting when the kids are 17. Yeah. Um, just depends on, you know, the overall situation there. Yeah. And how would you suggest, I, I believe that uh, significant portion of the population that uh, comes to you, they're more uh, kind of in tune with what is required for college. They are curious as to how to do it successfully. And it's almost the upper echelon of the individuals that are moving down this path. There's a significant population that's just kind of figuring it out. Um, but as far as your suggestions concerning saving and how that should be done when it should be done. Obviously you just mentioned the 529, but how do families start to save and do so effectively for, for college? 
Right. Yeah, so as I mentioned a while ago that um, a lot of families learn how to spend every every dollar they make. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, college is a problem. So, you know, I will have a conversation with a family that earns 200000 and they'll tell me how they don't have any money that they could put away for college. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk to another family that earns 100000 and they'll tell me how they don't have any money to put away for college. And of course, if I said, "Well, I just talked to someone that earns two hundred thousand that said the same thing," they'd be like, "Well, that, those people are crazy. How could they possibly they earn twice as much as us, and they can't afford to save for college?" It would be so easy if I earned two hundred thousand. Yeah. But what happens is when you earn more, you you uh, it's, it's the same as my bigger garage theory, right? I don't care how big your garage is; it's full <laughs> because we don't even think about throwing something out or doing something different until the garage is full. Yeah. And once it's full, then we start saying. So everybody that has a two-car garage says, well, if I had a three-car garage, life would be so easy. But people that have three-car garages are, you know, I, I, I need a four-car garage, right? It's that slippery slope problem. Of, um, so I think a lot of families at any income level just need to decide if education is an important piece of the puzzle, how much, how important is it, and how much money are we willing to put towards it? Yeah. Um, Early on, and the earlier the better, of course, because if you save earlier, you can grow, you know, you get more. I think the challenge is the rules may change over the next 10 and 20 years. So if you have a a baby right now and you're saying, oh, we should set up some college planning. um, I think the system might be different by the time you get there. So it's hard for me to give you for sure advice. I mean, one of the things I would say is plan your life so that you you can still have education in there. Um, buy a smaller house, don't buy as many cars as you think you need, whatever it is, so that you have an extra 200, 300, 500 a month that either you're saving in general or you're saving specifically for college, whatever makes sense, you know, depending on, again, a lot of people are saying, well, if I put all this money away for college, what if they don't go? Or what if they win a big scholarship and it's free? That's legitimate concern. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you have a 17 year old where I'm working a lot, it's pretty clear they want to go to college and they have the aptitude for it, but they're not going to win a big scholarship as far as we can tell right now. Or sometimes they have a shot at a scholarship, but again, they're in the running, but they could. the answer could be no. So then what? You know, so we need a plan A and a plan B. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of stuff. But for a lot of families, it really is, you know, a lot of families will say, well, here's our number one goal, retirement. Here's our number goal, two goal, you know, planning and paying for education for the kids. And then when you look at their finances, where's all their money going? Well, everywhere except their number one goal of retirement and yes. their number two goal of education. For sure. Because I remember, you know, when you talk to kids, uh, parents of young kids, they say, man, these kids are expensive. You know, when daycare is done, then we can save because <laughs> they'll be less expensive, Right. And we, you know, and those of us that have old kids, you know, say they don't get less expensive. It changes. It changes from daycare to sports fees to lessons to taekwondo to you know whatever else they could be doing. And sometimes it's private school and private grade schools or high schools. And so there's always ways to spend the money on the kids, and that's where finding that balance, um, I think, is important. Yeah. Um- well, what are some of the other unique challenges, such as potentially an athlete uh, going to college and that being 
factored into the equation as well as families that have uh, a small business and what change that makes for them uh, getting this process going. Right. Yeah. So the way I like to explain it is there's things that everybody's going to do. I mean, everybody's going to have to figure out scholarships. Are we going to pursue, are we going to do 40 scholarship applications or zero or somewhere in between? Mm -hmm. Are we going to, how many colleges are we going to visit in this process you know, are we going to look at private and public and all over the country and all those kind of things? So you got your, you know, I tell people by the end of the junior year, you should have a school list that makes sense for your family, both financially and a good fit for the student. You should have a scholarship plan, which means, again, are you going to pursue a lot of scholarships and do a lot of work? Are you going to do new work? I think the right answer for most families is it's somewhere in between. You're not going to do zero and you're not going to do 40. Mm-hmm. You might do the three or four or five that are a really good fit. But that means you got to figure out those three or four or five and figure, you know, so that's a piece of it. The college testing, the ACT and SAT, you've got to figure that out through your junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the overall college finances, what is your budget? You know, can our parents on the hook for 20,000 a year, 50,000 a year, 10,000 a year. And then if, it's not enough to cover even the local state schools and how are you going to fill the gap? Is it going to be loans? Is it going to be the student working? All that kind of stuff. So that's what everybody needs to do. Yeah. In addition to that, life gets more complicated if you have a blended family because now, again, you got to work with the ex or whoever, you know, however that's going to work out and you got to, and maybe a new spouse as well. Um, so figuring that piece out. If you've got an athlete, well, now there's an additional complication of, well, if my student's going to play field hockey um, in college, well, then I got to find colleges that have field hockey and I got to find colleges that will, where the coach wants my student. Mm-hmm. And, w- and then there's always this challenge of, well, if this, what if a college that's not so good for other things really wants my student and gives us a great offer, but they don't have the major we want, then what? Yeah. Or, you know, so there's that complication of these are the schools I love, but they don't want me for hockey. These are the schools that are okay. They really want me for hockey. Do I now do it, you know, do my hockey thing or do I do, you know, drop hockey and move on to something else? Yeah. Um, so that, that extra complication of dealing with coaches and getting recruited and is there. Um, families that own small businesses or even big businesses for that matter, but families you now have the opportunity to hire the kids in the business and set up tuition reimbursement plans and do all kinds of things that the typical family can't do. Yeah. Um, Because again, if you're the boss, you could set up a scholarship program or you could set up a tuition reimbursement program at your business. And then depending on how it's set up, you may take advantage of it personally or not. It might just be for your employees, Mm -hmm. but you have to think that through. Um, families where you've got lots of kids, you know, especially I guess bonded families, this may happen a lot where, you know, the Brady bunch, right? We had three and they had three, we came together and now we have six and three or four of them are going to be in college at the same time. Mm. Um, that can get really complicated and who's, who's going to be the parent on the FAFSA for this group and that group. And would it be better if the family that has all the kids does it, or would it be better if the other, other parents do it? And, you know, it can get very, very complicated there. So the blended and the divorce and blended families makes things complicated, extra complicated. 
um, if the students that are looking all over the country, it's like, well, we knew, you know, we need to visit Rice in Texas and Notre Dame in Indiana and Stanford in California and a couple schools in Boston. Well, that's some pretty major road trips wherever you live, right? You might live close to one of those schools, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. So are you flying across the country to do visits and how is that going to fit in? And if you've got twins or triplets and now you have to do it times three, that can get complicated. And maybe you have a special needs kid, right? You know, is it, I need something wheelchair friendly or I need something that, you know, my kid has ADHD and will need support. Some colleges do that better than others. So that's part of the process. Yeah. Um, you know, so again, there's the core and then there's all the stuff that make it a little more complicated. Yeah. Or a lot more complicated. Much to consider. There is, depending on people's situations, what they're dealing with, the makeup of their family, uh, what their aspirations are, what the, and I, I believe there probably exists a strain where there is a, a student that is 17 years old, let's say, and their aspirations are. For college, and they're super excited about it. They want to attend with their friends, and there are these things. And whether it's conditioning, you know, considering our culture, or it's something that they personally, they're just like, "Hey, I'm totally convinced that this is going to serve me in my future." Um, but they're existing that desire, youthful desire to do this thing, and the parents' perspective concerning some of the realities. Um, I'm sure that exists that tension to some degree. Oh, for sure. Family. Right. And a great example of that would be, you know, and I don't know the exact uh, distribution of this, but there's a lot of students that, you know, early on kind of decided their path and they've always stuck to it. You know, mm-hmm. this kid's going to be an engineer. All, all he really has to decide is, is it going to be chemical engineering or electrical engineering or mechanical engineering? Yeah. He's, he's always been the math and science kid. He's never wavered from the path. And that's what we're doing. And then you have the kids that are like, uh, I don't know, astronaut, firefighter when they're young. And then as reality sets in, they, you know, they're torn. And sometimes it's a really strong kid, right? Just A's in everything and can't decide because they love it all. And then there's the other kid that, you know, I don't like math. I don't like science. I don't like this. I don't, you know, like college maybe isn't even my thing. Or I just can't decide between I really like music and I really like math and I really, you know, and parents are like, well, no, you can't go study history. That doesn't lead to a job. Can you pick something that leads to a job? And a lot of parents, you know, again, some some kids are like, but what I like isn't, you know, and that's another thing to realize, right? There's certain professions where if you go to school for elementary ed, you know what your job is going to be. And if you want to be an elementary teacher, you know what your major is going to be. But if you want to work for a corporation and sell MRI machines, what's the major for that? If you go talk to the salespeople that actually do that, they're liberal arts. They're all kinds of things. Maybe they're engineers. Maybe they're, you know, it could be anything. Yeah. Right. So there's a, there's some majors where just kind of general education, you get out in the working world and you figure it out. Yeah. And for the really bright kids, I don't think it matters. Mm-hmm. Now for the C student that is going to study you know, underwater basket weaving or, you know, whatever the joke might be, you know, there's that joke that, you know, that you study that and get a bunch of C's while you're on your way to Starbucks. That's what, that's what your job is going to be. There's some truth to that, 
but not everybody. I mean, some people can study whatever they want and they'll be successful. And other students, it's probably important that they learn skills and have a path that leads more directly to a job. You know, like the healthcare fields, you study nursing, you end up a nurse. You study physical therapy, you end up a physical therapist. It's very clear. Um, other categories, like I said, of, you know, if you study, you want to work in a corporation, you want to start your own business, you want to be a writer, what do you study? Well, you could study English, but a lot of writers didn't. Um, musician, same thing, right? You could study music in college, but a lot of musicians didn't. Um, and then there's those professions out there where when you're looking for work, it's really show me what you can do. Musician would be a great example. Play your instrument for me, and if you do it well, you got the job. If you yep. don't do it well, they don't care where you went to school to learn how to do it, or if you even went to school. Absolutely. Right? They don't care. Yeah. I mean, again, then there's the snobby ones that say, well, you went to this conservatory, so you must be good, or whatever. That's certainly a possibility, but the typical rock band, they're looking for a guitar player. They don't care where you learned. As long as you can do it, and you do it the way they like it, you're in. And if not, you're not. And that's... Graphic designer would be another one as, you know, I own a small business and I don't care how you learn to do it. But if you can do something I like and I need it, okay, well, you're hired, right? I need you to do that for me. And I can look at it and see it. And so that's, I think, the reality for most people, right? And most people, when you think about it as adults, right, when's the last time you went somewhere or did something and you said, oh, well, where'd you get your degree? Really? You got it there? Well, never mind. I'm not working with you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm picking it. I want to go to a different nurse or I want a different, you know, I want someone else to check me out at the grocery store or we don't care. Yeah. And what we care about is they can do the job, do it well. And we can move on. Competence. Whatever that might be. Right. That's huge. Well, before we uh, finish up the last question I wanted to ask, because parents, they obviously, they love their kids. They, you know, they care for their kids. They want success despite what may be transpiring in their personal life they have this innate desire for their children to just, you know, soar essentially. So what would you say as far as the trends that you've recognized? And I know that you're not necessarily a college advisor, um, Mm -hmm. but from what you've seen, what would you say are some of the traits that a child uh, tends to have or reflect that will, that equates to their success in college and whether they will actually kind of fulfill this process, see it through from beginning to end, or they're more likely to do so because obviously A's are important to get in there, but they are not the end all um, as far as the success of a student could be a starting point, but not the end all. So what would you say from what you've seen are some of the traits that a student may have um, that will, that equates to their success in college. Right. Well, and again, I think, well, I guess, first of all, parents that have multiple kids realize this, but kids are different. Yeah. And what worked for the first may not work for the second or the third. Um, and sometimes, you know, and it's easy to be judgmental of, you know, my kid was body trained when they were two, it was no big deal. And it was so easy. I don't know why you struggle so much. And the reality of it is, well, maybe one family had easy potty trainers and one didn't. And until you've had the kid that's not easy, you cannot appreciate 
And when I, and the same thing around college, right? There's the academic kids that are just going to do well and it's going to keep going right into college. Um, but I think what's important for families is you find a good fit. That's what has a big impact, I think. If you have a kid that can't stand sitting and listening to lectures, then they not need to find that education where they're in the lab and they get to touch it and they get to play with it. And that might be their thing, right? Of, you know, and a career that way too, right? I mean, you can learn plumbing out of a textbook or you can learn plumbing by some sort of on-the-job on training. And one's better for one kid and one's better for the other. And trying to find that match. Um, there's a, you know, I help families a lot. I tend to work with parents, you know, so when I'm helping people, it's the finances, the, you know, all the stuff the parent is doing. But there are experts out there that help students figure out what they want to be when they grow up, that can help them figure out what colleges are a good fit, that can help them, you know, write good essays or whatever it is, right? Do the test prep, all that stuff. Um, and it's kind of a growing industry in that, you know, there's a, you know, I've got a number of podcasts where I talk to experts that help kids choose a career, you know, and they, they, they think we, you know, a lot of families kind of do it wrong or they, they, you know, where you say, well, this is the school I like. These are the majors I can pick from. This is the major I picked and this will lead to that career. And the kids just don't, you know, because they don't, aren't excited about that. It's hard for them to be all in. Whereas if you start with, what are your passions? Oh, I love sports. Okay, well, based on your height, you're not going to be a basketball player. We already know that. Well, so that's you're not going to play basketball. But are you interested in being an athletic trainer? Are you interested in being a coach? Are you interested in being a broadcaster? Are you interested in... And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I can take my passion for basketball, even though I can't play. But I could do something related to that. I could be the accountant for my favorite basketball team. So now I love accounting because I can see how accounting leads to the NBA. Yeah. Now again, I don't get to be a player. Yeah. But it, it you know. But you're at the NBA. So <laughs> right. So that idea I think is brilliant and very important for some kids. Now that not everybody needs to do all that. And you'll get, you know, there again, you had the kid that's going to be an engineer, always has been an engineer, you know, is on that path. But for the undecided kid, is it worth spending a couple thousand dollars to go through that process with them or have them take the course at the local tech? So this is this is stuff that's coming out now that's, you know, people are starting to say, what can we do? And it's not an exact science either. That's the other challenge, right, is if you do this. It's no guarantee that you're going to all of a sudden be on the right path. It might increase your odds, but you could do it and then still pick the wrong major. And that's, you know, that's kind of where we're getting to of, well, what do we do that incre increases the odds? But And then how do we identify the ones where it's going to fail, right? If you go buy medicine and they say 95% of the people, this fixes the problem and it all goes away. And you say, great, what happens to the other 5%? Mm -hmm. Oh, they die. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, maybe I better figure out if I'm going to be that 5% before I sign on. Because, yeah. yes, 95% success sounds great, but the consequences of failure aren't, are not are very scary. Yeah. Um, versus, well, the other 5%, it just doesn't help. Oh, okay, well, then I'll give it a try. <laughs> um, 
so that's, I think, where we're just starting now to figure out, well, if you do these things, it helps some, but not all. And we don't really know who it helps and who it doesn't help, you know, at the beginning. You know, they do that kind of work for medicine all the time, right? Of They do blind studies and all that. We're just starting to understand that maybe we should think about these things. And here's some people that help with that. And but they don't have hardcore statistics to say, well, this is the 50 people I helped and here's 50 people just like them that I didn't help. And here's the statistical benefits that I provide, you know, based on statistics, I helped 43%. You know, I, I say this month, we can't, we don't have that. We just kind of have our gut and saying, well, when we do this, it seems to work. And that's kind of where we are. And we see that in, you know, the counseling professions all across the board. Yeah. So I'm hearing uh, parental investment, knowing your kid, um, uh, sometimes better than they know themselves so that we can help them down the path that will mean for their success as well as uh, less stress, tax, and pitfalls for ourselves as far as parents as well as um, not being afraid of people such as yourself that are specialists, that know what they're doing, know what they're talking about, and that are willing and able to, to help guide and lead families and students through this through this process that can be again it can be slightly intimidating but it can also be extremely fruitful in education and life experience um so on that note where can people find you as far as your services and resources yep, yep. so my website is taming the high cost of college.com and we've got scholarship guide for busy parents which is four quick videos to get you up to speed on scholarships we just launched a new financial aid calculator or SAI calculator that, you know, with the, all the new rules built into it. Uh, we've got cost of colleges by state, so you can get some numbers to get started with some preliminary ideas of what it might cost. Uh, so there's all kinds of free resources. And then my podcast, Taming the High Cost of College, you know, essentially the same name, is available wherever podcasts are sold, I guess, uh, however you want to say that. Yeah. Um, so we're out there. You can look us up as well. Wonderful. Well, I will provide in the description both links to your website as well as the podcast. And personally, again, I got I got four girls, and they are all they are all smart, and uh, I, they aspire toward more. So I will absolutely be taking advantage of your resources and services. That there will be a need for sure. Um, right. Absolutely. And if you want to reach out directly at the website, there's. Contact Brad where you can schedule a, a, a consultation or whatever else you might want to do as well. So you can reach out to me directly as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for uh, being a benefit to the listeners. I'm sure this is going to benefit a ton of a, a ton of people. All right. Thank you for having me. Sweet. Thanks a lot, Brad. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you heard something throughout the episode that could make all the difference. Please take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of that blended goodness. Episodes are up and running on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Until then, do not settle for anything less than what's possible.